I don't know if you guys have heard about xfactorroping.com, but I highly suggest you check it out. We average about two hours of new footage per month. We have over 1,500 videos. All of our members, if you are a premium member of xfactorroping.com, you can get personal coaching for free with Charlie Crawford, Ryan Motes, and Buddy Hawkins. So guys that are out there roping for a living, doing it day in and day out, you can post videos and they can help you out with your roping. That is with our membership. For what we put into roping, that's a huge amount of value and a way to get something out of it all the time. Guys, it means so much to me that you support us and I, I just really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome to the X-Factor Roping Podcast again. I'm with Matt Shizawa. Uh, I've looked up to Matt for a long time. He grew up right here in Chubbuck, Idaho, right next to me. and. And so I've, you know, kind of got to, to experience, you know, watching your rodeo career for a long time, Matt. So I just appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thanks, Pace. Good to be here. You've always lived about a long range rifle shot away. So yeah, it's, uh, very close. It's real close. We're pretty much neighbors. In fact, I remember I was at a rodeo and you're like, man, why do you got Pocatello put on your, you know, where you're from? It needs to be Chubbuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chubbuck. And so ever since then, I've had Chubbuck on where, I've, where I'm from. But. All right, Matt. Well, you know, I I want to dive into a bunch of stuff. I know that you're really – I've learned a lot from you just in a few conversations from the mental game to hustling and just kind of making the whole rodeo deal work. So those are a couple of things I wanted to cover today. But first of all, how did you get your start in, in, into rodeo, and what was that, that kind of like growing up for you? Well, it was, I think my, my everybody's story is unique. I feel like mine's unique, but here in southeast Idaho – you know, it's uh, it's seasonal, summertime, and you have a few people that try to do it year-round. So, But uh, my dad rodeoed amateur a little bit. He gave me a lot more opportunity, and, and uh, you know, we we went we went far with it all the way down to Nevada for high school and, and got good and worked at it. But basically my dad afforded me the opportunity, and it was really just with his time. Right. So with your dad uh, kind of helping you train, you got around some guys at a little bit younger age that – that wrote pretty well I uh, spent some time with uh, Adam's family as well mm -hmm. yep and kind of the I, I feel like you you've had a pretty good career you know starting in high school I mean there was a few kind of good wins and and, and kind of the bigger stage right yeah I was I was successful in high school and uh, you don't realize the culture that we have compared to texas and maybe it's lack thereof what i mean by that is if you if you were to go to high school rodeo here in out west idaho is districts nevada was whole state but um you know rodeo is a a thing and but it's nothing like texas or the south and i think that's why you see so many numbers come out of down there that doesn't mean guys from out west haven't became very successful and adapted but we just don't have amateur rodeos and ropings year-round on every corner five days a week right so growing up what did a typical like practice session or week of practice look like for you you know around here it was it was summertime of course and then at the time dad was farming so we'd work then get after it you know summertime here in idaho's i would say the i hope it's best kept secret but apparently from the attendance of rodeos here in the in the summertime guys are catching on but yeah so midday summer awesome just get after it. it might be 95 but you get out there and it's always a little breeze it's nice um so work play uh when i got down to nevada things changed a little bit we were able to kind of do it a lot more year round um here in the winter time i think there was uh there's some indoor arenas around that were almost always 
for certain colder inside than they were outside. But you still got to rope a little bit. But, man, it's hard on stock. You go in there, your horse comes out steaming. Calves, shoot. If you're lucky, you can keep your calves alive in the winter. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the last winter I was here. We went to practice one evening up at the fairgrounds, and it was it was like two or three degrees. And when you went inside, it was colder in the, the indoor. And yeah. I'm like, man, my, I can't keep my feet warm. And yeah. it, it's a whole different... Uh, I mean, it it really tests you how much you want to rope right. or want to do something yeah. when it's when you're that cold and working at it. Yeah, and I, I think it it's it gives you something to do, and I think a guy has to be pretty specific in that in that situation because uh, you're really not going to get everything done. So a guy needs to work on some some fine tuning, like horse uh, horse scoring, few little special skills. As far as thinking you're going to go at it like you can when the weather's good, you're not. Right. So at what point in time were you like, hey, I, this is what I want to pursue for a career? Was there a moment like that or did it just kind of happen or what, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, it just kind of happened. But I went to college in Vernon and Vernon was great. I had a good time. Uh, it wasn't super challenging school-wise. Uh, I, 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 did get, I did get pretty good there though and kind of was get, able to get away from home and find myself in the roping thing and kind of learn Texas and had a pretty good time. Good enough time, in fact, that after three semesters, they said, hey, it's time for you to go do something else, not here at Vernon. And, uh, and right. so, yeah, but before that, I was, I'd kind of contacted some people at Tech and was interested in going over there and was going to go into business law. I don't know if it was going to be a lawyer or a business guy or what, but uh, a lot of that kind of went away, went to horseshoe school and then... You know, usually the thing about rodeo, about the time you start winning is about the time you start thinking, hey, I can do this. Right. And uh, so right around that that college, those couple college years, I mean, you, you're successful in high school. Had, mm -hmm. uh, did you win the all-around at the high school finals? Yeah, I mean, uh, I won the calf rope and all-around in 98. Won both. Yeah, and then uh, came back the next year and ran in, ran in Adams. I won the, won the team roping. Right. And that was that was even more fun because you know I can see why team rope is so cool, but it's it's more challenging to to win t any team roping event just because that extra variable. Right. So those are I mean those are really big wins to to win at the national level. Mm -hmm. uh, cause I, Thank you. I, I mean, growing up in Idaho, it's tough because you don't really get to measure yourself against other guys, and so usually, and I, I noticed what I struggled with is when I was younger, even still now, when I get to where basically everyone's there roping at the high school finals or whatever it is at Oklahoma City at the U.S. finals when that was real big you you want to know how you stacked up and and then to come out of that and win and have huge you know to to be first out of those I think that's a that's a big big thing and and what I'm curious on do you think you that kind of carried over to your college years and that kind of helped with your confidence or did, were you you're just kind of always that way with your belief system and and you know you could you could kind of win and do this those are those are great questions. Um, you know, back up just real quick. That that that's what's tough about where we live. We don't have the culture enough to know for sure. Hey, I'm. It's not that I'm good enough, but it's always it's Texas, Oklahoma, those areas, uh, the South. It always seems like that is the measuring stick. They are, but they have the culture. They have the, you know, that like Stephenville, Texas. You pull in there, and it's a it's a Western town. You pull in a to Idaho most places particularly Chubbuck area 
it's not a western town you see a few people that have horses and a lot of them use them once a year to hunt you know it's it's not a it's not a western town there's not a ton of ropers there's ropers out here but different culture so yeah measuring stick is is what texas is and that's that's what you're saying and i I get it and i was the same way i'd go down there and i had no clue where i was and then luckily we'd worked hard enough and uh, my dad was perceptive enough to see that that whenever we went places and you could always you always see what other kids were doing doing better than you and that you need to continue to to get better and so it was almost an advantage at that point to to not be at this level that they were because you know there was kids that were just 15 16 year olds and, and you're like dude this kid's pro level like straight up pro level what's funny is they a lot of them plateaued at that point too though right well i think that's what's really interesting too uh and I, I think this happens. I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is what happens a lot is you see someone that's really talented and is above everyone else. They're way better than everyone at their age or their skill level. And so they basically jump into the pro level pretty quickly and start competing against those guys, and they lose a lot. And they go from a guy that never lost to someone that loses all the time. And then being there in Texas where it's really tough, it's it's kind of you can hit that area where you almost learn to lose or expect to lose as opposed to expect to win like being out here you know you you probably expect to win all the time and once you like put the work in you know you expect that and i think that's what the best guys do in the world and i I don't know what do you think about that no you're right um the, the the tough thing and why i'm not this you know there's a lot of things i'm not just crazy about i i think I think junior rodeos are overplayed. I think I think these parents are putting way too much stock in this because we all know some man child, thirteen years old, and like, oh, my son's winning all the calf opens. And I'm like, well, yeah, because the kid's six foot and he's got a beard and he's thirteen. All the other kids are just lucky if they're going through puberty, and uh, so yeah, your kid has a physical advantage. And, and then usually as things catch up, and then by mid high school everybody catches up. By the time we're eighteen years old, all seniors. It's like, hey, what happened to J-? Well, he's just a good old boy, you know, and he, he, it's 13, though. He could time an eight all day, and then, but it, it, all of a sudden at 18, he can't time an eight, or that's all he can do is time an eight. Right. So, yeah, it's, it seems like a guy has to, you know, it's, it's like when they make steel, you know, whether you horseshoeing or, or, or swords or, you know, I, I know a little bit about my culture, my background, Japanese side is that steel every time you heat steel up and then you temper it you quick it it gets a little bit tougher and i think that's what happens when you lose it with the intent of improving and coming back and and learning from that as you get quick every time you just keep getting a little bit sharper a little bit harder right and you think that's something that your dad helped you with too as far as the practicing and everything goes is it was always a kind of kept you in basically a process you know trying to improve on certain things throughout basically your entire career yeah you know my dad was really good a couple things he was really good about was he he understood that the only way to get better was a certain amount of numbers uh if i was going to critique the program looking back uh, and luckily i I caught on to it myself is that there was a mental side that we didn't quite understand his deal was repetition do it right do it lots you know kind of that whoever you want to call it ten thousand. 10,000 hours. The 10,000 rule, whatever. Uh, if, if it, it was along those lines. He didn't know that. That was way before Malcolm Gladwell ever wrote that book. He was just like, man, we got to go out there and we could rope four or five days a week in Logandale. You know, if you're heading 
20, 30, 40 steers, you got two, three head horses. If you're roping that many calves, you do that four or five days a week, you times that by the whole school season. You look up and you're like, man, we knocked out a bunch, do that a couple of years. You know, you should be a professional by the time you graduate. And that was the, the numbers thing. The, the tough thing is, this again, this is out west thing, is how many times did you go to District 5 right here, high school radio uh, or whatever, yeah. or District 8, 8? And literally it's like, okay, go make a clean run and you're going to win first. Right. And, and, and Nevada was that way a little bit. It's like, okay, don't. And every once in a while you're like, well, man, I, I think we need to learn how to to push ourselves you know the the really good figure skaters the, the best figure skaters fall more in practice than just the good figure skaters because they're pushing them, themselves all the time so so if, with that intent sometimes hey sometimes you got to come across and try it on and miss right you know because you got to try to keep pushing yourself get a little better so uh the book that matt was referencing is uh Malcolm Gladwell Outliers mm -hmm. great book uh, talks about a lot about opportunity and 10,000 hours and how it kind of flows together yeah good book uh, so going back to you realized something mentally what what was the biggest thing you kind of realized at that time or when when did that kind of happen as far as your, your training and your practice goes well, I realized I think that there had to be a balance uh, I would say and, and luckily I think this is why I see some kids coming up nowadays I think that rope is good as anybody and I think and I've heard and I same thing I heard in the NBA was that these kids are using some I kind of think sometimes these tools are these these phones are, are not not tools or iPads not tools but these kids are using them as tools with with YouTube with some of these things you could video these runs you can actually see so much so the visualization and the study time is going up because of the the video and stuff back when we were shoot it was just run them you know we didn't have ipads iphones maybe at a a low grade quality yeah, yeah. you know and your mom carried this thing around like a boom box on her <laughs> shoulder you know and then it, all that technology got a little better but to be, to be able to watch something in high definition like we have the ability now we did not have so to say we could fine-tune our skills based on a you know on a study session we didn't we could we could take pictures you could study things that way a lot of it was having somebody around that you could trust and saying this is what needs to be done you're here with your position especially in the practice but now you can have somebody just sit there in ipad your whole practice session you'd be like man see where my left hand my body position my feet my toes where's my spurs my spur just hitting my back cinch only you know and stuff like that so i think that's why kids are getting better but that was what we didn't have and um but i did but i did discover that on my own right i, I think that's really interesting because it means to me you basically got to run enough steers or calves that you develop a feel and that feel like so when it gets off you know, you usually know, okay, this is what I did. This is what my body did, but it's really on you. Or you got to mm -hmm. be able to have someone you can really trust and you can be like, what did that look like? As opposed to being able to just watch it right back yeah. on video. Or the other thing I think is really unique is the, you know, the passing around of videos. So a lot of the guys I think in the team rope, and I don't know it's like for you in the calf open, but they'll send runs to each other and just say, Hey, what, what did that look like? And I, I think that's a man that mm -hmm. really, cause you can get a quick, just that quick perspective from a guy and, I think that's a, it just adds a huge amount of value to to get someone's opinion just right fast because usually it's just one or two little deals at that at that point. Oh yeah, yeah, game of inches really. I mean, football is, but think about 
thing about I'll tell you, this game of inches. This and just not to throw the conversation off, but the other day I'm watching Ike Sankey tie Necker up the other day. He throws them together. If you ever get a chance, watch it. I'm not picking on Ike, whatever, just observation. He throws it together. I look down, there's an inch and a half between the between the yeah. the eyes. Right. So when they tie the knot on the eye and the neck rope, um, if it's not all the way snug, um, oh. that makes the barrier pull uh, half an inch longer. Something. I mean, slightly long, slightly longer than it would if it was snug. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not against electric eyes because every once in a while you see these neck ropes foobar somebody. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a rules guy. But, but I get Kennewick the other day. I saw a couple guys get hit in the face, almost tear a leg off a horse. Uh, I don't know. I saw worst thing ever. Cody Prescott a few years ago at Bremerton. I saw him get a stirrup ripped off, and it it was disaster. He got ripped off his horse. It grabbed his left leg and tore the whole stirrup off. Yanked him back. It basically ragdolled him. And this was one of these. The bulldoggers are like, we need a 20-foot bear box, and I don't know what the heck happened. But next thing you know, the neck rope's too dang long. You usually have some volunteer local good old boy putting these things on. Uh, Tyler Milligan at Houston this year. Uh, <laughs> did you see it? I didn't see it. Yeah. Sure should. It's backwards. Right. Gets him right in the face, cross the face. You got little old Servi out there saying, you need to run the extra right now. He's got blood on the side of his face, had to get stitches. And they come back and make him run it right now. I mean, it's there's little things out there that, that could be better. And what's bad is we, it seems like we're always on the losing end of the deal. Yeah, that's that's the toughest part about the the whole atmosphere of rodeo is there's so many pieces to make it work. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to have volunteers, which sometimes are tying the neck ropes and and you get guys with that don't have much experience with it and and then the cowboys kind of got to pay the price because they got to run a show and it's got to be done in a timely manner right. because just like houston there's a concert that makes mm-hmm. millions of dollars at night i'm sure or whatever hundreds of thousands of dollars at night so one calf roper they don't really care mm-hmm. you can either turn out because he's hurt or run that calf and yeah th- there's a lot of situations that are real tough um i kind of want to go back into the the, the rodeo yeah. deal uh at college, were you? When did you start to? When was your first your rookie year in PRCA? Man, I bought it eighteen. As soon as I hit eighteen, I, I bought my permit and uh, and filled it fast. I filled it right away, you know. But it was it was some local wilderness circuit rodeos here. I think it was a combination one night between Logan, Utah, and Grace, Idaho. It was one of those perf to slack after runs. Oh yeah, and uh, it was she does fun. Um. And I, and I still like doing that, especially locally. If you can kind of get to one and then another one after, you know, you're just you're working. No big deal. Yeah, it's that's probably one of the coolest thing about the rodeos around here is there's a lot of them right close. And mm-hmm. so it's like Logan and Colville are an hour apart. You can rope one in the perf and then drive and go yep. to slack after. And and then if you're really hungry, you I'm sure there's an amateur rodeo or two close. And it just depends on how much mm-hmm. how much how many runs you're wanting. But yeah, uh, so filled your permit right off. When did when is the moment you're like, hey, I'm I'm gonna rodeo, and you, you know you talked about winning, and obviously it's off to a pretty good start. When's that spot where like, hey, I'm I'm gonna make the NFR? When when was that in your mind? You know, I think the first year I actually had real success from start to finish was uh, 01. So I was 20 20 years old. 
uh, I look back, I didn't know anything and equipment and everything was pretty minimal. So there's some education and stuff, a lot to learn looking back, but, um, I ended up 17th that year, missed the making the finals at 21 years old, 1500. But looking back, it was great. And then at what's tough is it took me and I thought, Oh, for sure. I'll make it next year. And for sure. The next shoot took me till 2005 to make it. But sure enough, when I made it in 05, I was ready. Right. So had a few years there, basically five five years of rodeo mm-hmm. before you made the NFR, and three or four, which you're probably finishing the top twenty. Yep, yep, close. So how do you, the first time you, the first few times I guess when you don't finish in the top twenty, what is what is your mindset going into the next year? Do you try to change something a lot, or what? How do you handle that? Yeah, it, you know, in in calf roping. And kind of the way I'm, for me, it's always one once your ways to, to work, and that's kind of just what the way I'm programmed. So, uh, physically, I always try to do something, and usually nowadays they got CrossFit. So if you want to get your butt kicked, you just go CrossFit. Um, there, there's a ton of other ways, but I feel like a guy has to say, okay, I'm gonna come home from a long summer rodeo, and usually we need to get tightened up. So there's a certain amount of physical fitness there should be addressed. Plus it. You know, it, it makes you sharpen jet mentally because you're really, let's be honest, you don't really want to do it. It always makes you feel better. You're always glad afterwards, but it's never easy to go out there and say, I'm going to go do wind sprints and run the sand dunes and jump rope and maybe do some lifting and box jumps. Of course, that's, those are things I do, but but those it's kind of a way to punish yourself into, not punish yourself, it's just it just makes you that much tougher right just pushing yourself and so mm-hmm. that's something you kind of found each each year that mm-hmm. uh, you know basically during the off season when you're not roping calves is trying to go pretty tough yeah. physical fitness and uh and then 2005 was the first year you made the finals and you said you were ready to make the nfr at that point it was what did you go in at the finals that year Oh, I can't remember. Probably middle of the pack. It seems like I'm a. I usually go in there middle of the pack somewhere. Right. Um, and yeah, sure enough, when I showed up, and of course the horse game had improved, and you learned a little bit, kind of understand the routes out here, and uh, learned a ton about the game enough to where, you know, enough to where you're like, shoot, I can do this, and then you started realizing, hey, I need to start putting some horses together. So you do, you put two or three horses together so that you kind of got, got some weapons, you know? So, yeah. And then, yeah. And that is, I think for so many people that the first one's the toughest. Right. But then you look up and all of a sudden every one of them's tough. There's no way around it unless you have one of those years where nowadays Houston and the American count, there's no shortcuts. It's X far from Texas to wherever and from Moses Lake to Kalispell Montana's so far and from Gooding to Burley and to Caldwell you know all these things there's no way to shortchange the miles you have to do the work right that's a so a couple of things that I, I notice when I watch you up calves is from the time you get it on a calf to when you get them on the ground I, I mean I think that you're probably one of the fastest guys at that would, would you agree is that one of your strengths Thank you. Yes, I, I do. Um, and I think that's, of course, that was kind of my pattern from the, I guess, from the word go was that I had some athleticism. And my one of my first horses I got really good on was a yellow horse named Bam Bam. 
he was neat. Run out there, have a little quarter. And I figured out pretty quick that um, even if I ran him just a little farther, I could be down there mixing it up. Uh, flanking. Flanking's always I've been good at it and continue to be good at it, and I've worked a lot at it. I think flanking is one of those things you're either good at or you're not, though. Right. Like uh, there's some people that, that flank okay and good enough. And that's like, that's, they'll just always flank okay or good enough. And it doesn't really matter stature wise and there's, it, or size wise or strength wise. It's kind of a, it's, it's, it's the difference maker for guy, in my opinion, calf roping wise. Um, of course you need to be able to tie good, but a lot of guys shoot, a lot of guys run a string fine. You know, everybody knows how to do that. That's easy. It's, it's the, it's that handling and being physical enough to handle cattle day in, day out. Well, and that's, and I, I think for me, one run that I watched was Ogden probably two or three years ago. I think he won the rodeo mm-hmm. at Ogden and basically went a stride and a half or two strides further than everyone on a calf that I didn't think was that good. And he kind of, he kind of rolled off to the right, but from the time your foot hit the ground to when he was tied was so impressive. And it just really jumped out to me like, okay, this, this guy is strong because it, they wrote big calves over there mm-hmm. is what I thought. And I mean, you, yep. you handled them really well. So, and I just thought that it really tied in with like the physical fitness because it, you know, when you're going yep. that fast to step off and be able to control your body and, and then to get them on the ground that like that, that's, I just thought that was pretty unreal. No, thank you. I remember that run. Well, it was a Brandle tiger stripe, Brandle Bramer and you know, I used to think, oh, they're all wild and crazy, which they kind of are if you go in there, sort them. But I've gotten to where I think if you run me in a Brennell, usually they're pretty good. Right. Especially if you can kind of give them a little jerk. Yeah. <laughs> so first NFR, um, what is that like? You know, you said it's a little bit more stressful. Um, you know, being in Idaho, NFR time, it's it's cold here. So do you try to go down south to Texas or Nevada and get ready for it? Or what, what's your preparation look like for your first NFR? I was in Nevada at the time, um, still kicking it there at Adam's place at the ranch. The ranch has currently been moved to a, kind of a new spot. It, it's still there, but the, the original setup was right there that they built uh, mid mid 90s um and shoot i just got a load of cattle and we just got after it and had a couple pretty good young horses i could practice on and then um and basically that's what i did i, I worked out and not a lot i mean but just something you know it's like anything you do do a little bit and uh, and then would rope and so, you know that time of year you know down there some winters some winters, the biggest thing is the wind. There's some days just like, man, we're taking a day off. And, and I'm never against taking a day off. I don't, I don't even think the worst thing I see guys do pre-NFR, it's like all of a sudden they should start changing stuff. All of a sudden they're going to run 50 a day. And I'm like, look, you're, you're pretty close right now just coming off the season. Odds are your horse could use a break. And, uh, and, I, and I think really that's when it's like work on small skills, more individual work on the horses you know physical fitness try to get stuff sound you know and then you see these guys go out and then pre-nfr get hurt right or hurt their good horse i'm like oh that's the worst thing don't don't risk injury or do anything stupid right there because because the real works you know for 10 days yeah absolutely so round one first nfr what's your mindset is that something that you were able to handle pretty well or how, how was it kind of going in Man, I rode Adelida. That was the that was the horse Adam's owner. 
Uh, I think Marty Miller trained her, but I made her. Dang sure got her four years old. She was good. Marty done a good job with her. She had a little deal. Um, Adams rode her quite a bit. Um, they used her at high school rodeos. Dustin. It was Dustin's mare. And then it ran and rode her a little. She's just super talented little rascal sitting around. And I practiced some on her. She was probably a big factor in why I made the finals that first time. Right. Because it gave me just that little extra. Just that, that good one, you know. And good when they need to be good. And uh, I'd practice. And if I put a wrap and a hooey on my first one, I'd probably win my, my first round at the NFR. I can't. I'd, I was so sharp with my rope and had practiced just, you know, just coming across, floating around with them. Back then, um, I was going to a lot of Cali rodeos because it was just three, four hours south out of Vegas, Logandale area, to go to those Cali rodeos. At the time, all calf ropings in California were four foot under. So if you went, it wouldn't matter where you went, what the box situation was, four foot under. So I kind of learned, hey, that's the same setup as Vegas. So if it was a 16, 20, 14, I'd kind of learn that, basically go with the gates and and just watch the calf. You had to read the calf, but you had to get off the corner. Right. So all those things put together, the California deal and the horse, all that, I'd, the four foot under deals, easy. I mean, I, the same thing, those dang people in Texas, they got ropings like that all the time that are slinging. I'm going to guess they're all three or four foot under. That is, that's everyday walk in the park for them. So I think that's, man, that, it's surprising to me to kind of hear that from you. Like, cause I, I think, um, first NFR, a guy would go in there and be worried about it out, the outcome and the go arounds pay this much. This is my first. NFR, I've wrote, you know, been rodeoing pretty hard now for three to five years, mm-hmm. and uh, and then this is kind of the moment. And it sounds to me like more you're like this is what you're focused on. Uh, you know, you basically prepared through rodeos and kind of was relying on that as well as I hear you're going to rely on your horse. And was that something that someone helped you out with, or did you just kind of fall into that mindset naturally? No, shoot, we <laughs> we didn't we didn't really we we seek some help from people, but on the flip side you kind of realize that i realized at that point for me now a lot of people like to have this entourage and these people around i realized i didn't like that because most of the time you end up with just a bunch of just dudes they're just hanging out they're just they're just freaking hanging out their space now you got to have some people around but then what i don't like is somebody else's opinion especially if it's not consistent with what I, I I've constructed in my mind is what I'm wanting to do. My dad and I usually same page and we can kind of self-correct when you throw a third party and a fourth party and all of a sudden they're like, well, what you need to do is wrap your horse's legs like this. And, and I'm just like, Oh my goodness. And I always go apologize my offensive people. When I do third, fourth person, when I talk about Joe Bob or whoever, I usually go into Texas accent. So, so don't be offended out there, get over it. Um, but so we we keep our camp pretty close. It's just it's just who I want to be there, minimal amount of help, and try to just get rid of all the distractions. Right. And so it's just back to the deal. We're out here. We're grinding. We're working. Improve our horses. Work on our game. And is that something? Um, so let's just say that there's a few scenarios for me I, I really jump out when you're rodeoing really hard you're tired you've drove a lot there's i mean there's all those moments like that but then you kind of got to hop out um, and you got to go compete or there's these big situations like 
it might be a two and a short and then you're to the the money steer calf and it's those high pressure situations or those deals where it's just so much uh there's not as much time to prep do you have something that you go to to kind of help you focus mentally before competition good question you know i don't know i i, I really love short goes i right. do i think short goes are the best um especially big arenas like reno yeah reno greeley man those are the short rounds you want to be at because something about and, and some every once in a while you'll come across one that's really tough but usually usually short rounds in general kind of have a funny way of, of falling apart you throw a big arena and uh maybe some slightly uneven cattle and it seems like it just gets worse so you, you come back sixth no big deal we can move right on up right and so that's something you just learned to love or you just always had that like hey i i love it when the money's up is that how do you feel yeah I, I don't know how i don't know where i go there um you know i think i think i think i've learned to deal with the pressure pretty well I'm not exactly sure how um pretty calm most of the time in those situations um but yeah, I, 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 it's like anything, and for, well, if, at least from my point of view, I know everybody handles pressure differently. It's those are the only fun moments. Right. Looking back, it's like when there's something on the line, rather than just like, oh, congratulations, you can win fifteen hundred if you tie one faster. It's really hard for me to bring my my A game there. But when you put a lot more on the line, or Hey, this is a, the Greeley short go, a Reno short go, and then we add a little bit more, and you can get two paychecks here. And uh, you know, something about the pressure just just really kind of helping you dial in. Right. So that's I think that there's a few interesting things, and I know you've told me this is you kind of like it when it gets down to the I mean NFR scenario, top fifteen in the world, because the calves are usually sorted. They're they're pretty even, mm -hmm. um, and so it's like where the cream gets to the top yeah. and the best guys and and that's kind of that's your mindset right as you you know you've you've got them down to where hey we're we're paying money and you believe mm -hmm. that i can get to the you know i can get to the top of that yeah yeah absolutely i, I uh you know th there's some things about rodeo and that I, I i or the industry that i wish we were treated a little bit more like professionals but there's a few places where, where you are and yeah. it seems like where you are the vegas it seems like Especially when they make an effort. Some places don't make an effort. But especially where they make an effort. Right. They they have good cattle. You know, there's there's some things where it is it is right and you're like, shoot, this is even who who wants to show up today? Yeah. And I, I think that's that's really, really unique. So in the rodeo deal, we're kinda of talking about, you know, the mindset and that belief system, but what do you do when it goes bad? You know, I'm, I'm sure there's some cold streaks. And uh, do, you, do you have something that, well, first of all, let's talk about some of the cold streaks you've had and then what, what you did that kind of helped you get over that. <sighs> cold streaks. You know, it's, it's funny, cold streaks come and go. Uh, it's, it's, it's eerie how close our statistics are to baseball. Right. You know, if a guy could bat three, four hundred percent, so it's great. It's like, oh yeah, he's batting three, three fifty, having the best season of his life. Now out here, we're looking at it the other way. We're saying, man, I'm striking out seven, seven out of ten. Baseball looks at it on on the positive side. They're saying, no, he's batting three hundred. They're not. He's striking out seven hundred. Right. They're not striking out, but you know, grounding out the whole deal. 
so the 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 statistics are pretty close the same um bad thing is is that if a guy's honest with himself i can remember a few ago 13 was a rough year for me and i can kind of remember it was late july i turned out the last one or two over the fourth because it was just man it was i was swimming upstream having heck courses weren't working i was tired and i uh so i turned out of a couple but later in july at salt lake and this is how rodeo works is uh i show up there at salt lake run a pretty good one on my first one good enough come back on my second one and i don't have a good one i have the best one and that's when you look at it and you've got to, and I remember thinking this and I said, I have the best calf in the herd and I'm riding a good horse. And I remember thinking, this is the one, if, if I can't perform right here, right now, not that I was putting extra pressure on myself, but it's basically when there's always these situations that we've all been in where somebody hands it to you on a platter and they just present it in front of you here. Now this is all you have to do. Best calf conditions are perfect your horse is good enough go get it and that is ultimately to me that is ultimately the situation i don't know that is the top of the pyramid for me that is when not only you've got to be realistic enough to say i have all these great things like 80 90 of the work's done it's sitting here it's it can and that can go all the way to the nfr you can be the last guy out and go around you look up wow this round's wide open and even if I don't win first, second's pretty dang good too. I can get paid here. And it's right here. They're presented at silver, freaking gold platter. They put it out there in front of you. All you got to do is go whatever it is that you've practiced. That is to me what what is the – it's not a challenge. That is what I, what I think that we, we all should live for. Unfortunately, for some people, that, that always doesn't work out. Right. And that's when you got to be realistic with yourself. It's like, hey, do I still belong here or – or something's got to change or something's got to give or we got to readdress at this point. But those are the, those are when it's the real deal. And I, I got to agree with you. And I think that that's a, it's a really good point, especially so it's a little different between calf roping and team roping. As far as team roping, you can use a lot of your rope mm-hmm. and there's guys that can go to the second or third coil real easy. But when you draw the loper, he's not going to be two coils or three coils yeah. out there with just a decent score. Usually the best one by far if you just score good, ride a little bit, he's usually going to be one coil away mm-hmm. and you can just use him. And I think that's a big difference between winning and losing is when you do get the one on the, the gold platter is you don't press. You don't, yeah. you don't treat him like he's not yeah. a good calf. You just you don't treat yeah. him like, oh, I got to do this to win. I got to blow the barrier out. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like, hey, I can I still got to read him here and score good. But at the same time, you know, you can probably yep. end up giving him just a touch extra and making sure that you set your horse up good and then it just flows together and you can win the rodeo. Yep. And I think that's what's interesting. You look at results in the calf roping, there might be some runs that are short sevens and there might be one or two of them and then third and fourth place might be mid mid to long eights. Mm-hmm. And those are those calves. And those are those guys yep. winning on those calves. Yep. Yeah, and those those are the situ- and it seems like those are the winners. And then and then what's what's awesome to watch is when you see it's not awesome, it's freaking hilarious is when you see the guys and it's always it's and this isn't this isn't to come across like oh did you see such and such as draw he ran the very best one because you hear these guys that are like oh they're always popping off about the way somebody draws the best one yeah the the best one at the right time 
you know, there's a difference between the best one for a rodeo that pays 1500 versus a rodeo that pays, you know, 10000 But averages, you're still going to run your share of good ones, you right. know. But uh, it's the guys that can use them. And then what's funny is you'll even see those guys have the best ones and then it not go well. And they short out. And then next thing you know, you hear them on the phone a little bit later. Or, oh, a piece of crap, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you're like, wow, you, you're, you're delusional. You're not, you can't even call it what it is. You can't even straight up be honest with yourself and say, I had a chance and I blew it. Right. Like the, to me, the, the honesty factor of this has to be, you know, you, you've got to do it or else you're just out here and, and then you got to dress. Are you just out here for a hobby? Right. Well, I mean, if we're going to go to the, the honesty factor, this, well, what year was it? 10th round NFR yeah. had a chance to win the world, right? Probably mm-hmm. you had the best NFR out of the calf rovers to that point, I, I think. I, I don't yeah, remember. Probably really 14. Like, it was yeah, fourteen. It was fourteen. It was fourteen or f- yeah, I, one of those years. Fourteen. And it's round ten. Yep. Leading the average, correct? I was. Yep. And just basically had to tie him down for a chance to win the world. Is that is that kind of the well, scenario? Well, no, the I, scenario was a little more than that. I, I needed to to win the round. Okay. And and you'd come. I from needed to down win the round. Ways. I came from down. Yeah, you'd like come in like maybe tenth through fifteenth. Yeah, down something I can't remember. No, that year I might have came in second, and, and Tough and I were duking it out. Okay, okay. But, uh, you know, I over prepped on that one. I, I thought myself. Um, the scenario was is that I, of course, you know, we run the numbers and stuff. I needed to win the round. Of course, we figured we had the average locked up, but I needed to win the round, win the world, because because Tough was second and third in the average. Right. And, and you know he's going to go lock it up. Yeah. Plus he got to rope last. And that is the ultimate goal. If you all want to know what I think we're doing out here, we are trying to rope last Saturday night at the NFR. Yep. That is the goal. There's no other goal out here than that. Because that is that that silver platter, golden platter opportunity that we are trying to get to is, is that. But I had to win the round. And I kind of was willing to chance giving up on that because I won the average before. Well, and it was great. I was willing to chance or gamble with that winning the average and take it, roll the dice, win the world. I come across there, and I don't know if I wasn't ready or up or whatever. Drew an extra, and I dang sure need to beat that dang Cody all goes and ties one, and I kid you not, six seven or six eight or something like he always did. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, shoot, I got to let it roll. And I came across, and straight up, I wasn't ready. I, I needed another swing. I let it fly anyway, missed him, and went around the corner and tied him down. I think I still won second or third in the average. And, you know, I got paid. Looking back, um, that, wasn't, that wasn't the play. I should have just tied him down and made him beat me. But I, I uh, that was the scenario, to, to absolutely go and take it. And that was what I was wanting to do. To go take it, I had to win the round. Of course, it would have won the average. But, yeah, that one slipped by. And, I, and looking back, I played it wrong. I'll tell you another one I think slipped by was this year at Calgary. And this is where I think if it would be cool if we had a coach and rodeo or how all this would work. Because unlike Super Bowl, so Calgary short go make the final four. Timber Moore goes out first. It's me, Timber, Corey, and Caleb. And uh, for people that don't know, Calgary is a playoff, right? In the at the finals, so yeah, when, when like the top four yeah. come back and you're mm-hmm. open for fifty thousand, yeah. and then is it twenty five? Yeah, ten in the semifinal, four in the final four. And so it's four guys. No, yeah. you know, it's just a one header, mm-hmm. just clean slate, four guys. Mm-hmm. So 
Timber's first out. He misses. He had one that sure enough tried. And, you know, at this point, it's 100000 for first, 25000 for second. Right. And I just knew, and I knew one of these guys was going to go off and tie one fast. I'm third out. Timber misses. Okay. Had one that tried. And then come to find out, they all brought in some calves that tried. Corey, Corey's just wicked there. I'm pretty sure he's won Calgary twice. I figured he's going to tie one in seven, nothing, if not six. He has one that kind of goes out there, and, and I think she kicked her butt out away from him, and he ends up being 8 7. I'm like, and I got it. And it's basically like they let the calf out right in. And so, real quick, and Caleb Schmidt's behind me, and he's just been on fire. I made the decision real quick to go in and say, I'm going to make him beat me. I had a, pre- I had a good calf. Dankster knew she was good. And I went and tied one in 7 6. Looking back, of course, it's always easy to say looking back. And then Caleb comes right behind me, and he makes a heck of a run. He's 7'3", and he right. beat me. But looking back, at that point, I was okay with that decision to say uh, make him beat, beat me, you know. But the risk-reward deal would have been almost maybe worth saying, do I let it roll a little bit more right there? Because let's say I tie one, ace one just a little bit more. You know, I just I did made a run. It wasn't I didn't just max out. I just I just I just made a good run. Ran in there, caught him. Basically, did my made deal. sure you got in front of I, 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 yeah. I made sure I got in front of uh, eight seven and dang sure tough enough he was gonna have to beat me. Perfect execution with what I what I planned. Now was it enough? Well, obviously not, because we know that Caleb tied one seven three. He won it, made a good run, and I was good with second. But um, if you call timeout right there, it's Super Bowl, and they say okay. And let's say if you're lucky, you'd have somebody with a Belichick mind. What do they tell you right there in the huddle? Do we drop a different play? I think that uh, that's a really good question because there's two types of mindsets, I think. And I think when you get to the top tier of guys Mm -hmm. in heading, in every event of sporting, they're trying to win first. I think about Caleb Driggers, Clay Smith, Luke Brown. If they are second or third high call at that situation, all of those guys pretty much make the run that can't be beat. And mm-hmm. they try to make the run because they know that if they can be aggressive enough, that the risk, the 100,000, you, know, mm-hmm. you, you only got to catch him one out of four times to make it work as opposed that's to just true. going and knocking him down. Yep. And, and I think that's where I've been different and I'm trying to grow is be more aggressive there. I've always, mm-hmm. me, I would go for the 25000 every time uh, just because I always need the money. That's my mindset. Yeah. And, and I think that I'm trying to get where I go for the first or third. And I and I think that that depends on your guy. But So going to a Belichick mind, if, if it's Brady... You're you're making the you yeah. make the run you know if you got the quarterback yeah you make the run that that does that yeah I don't know you're no I I agree I, of course it's easy to say looking back but the problem is you don't have you don't call timeout what you do is you got a chance to say here you go and uh, and what I this was the the, the lot and it wasn't that I thought about this but it was just one of those things I'm like okay go and then and then I've also realized for me it's it's way easy to to overthink this still so at the point I'm like just go make a run. Yeah, and so that was my last thought before I went in, and but before that, right after Corey was eight, I'm like, I kind of was thinking, if a guy doesn't, 
if a guy doesn't execute and get ahead of that eight seven, you're 100% giving it away. Yeah. To, with one guy to go eight seven, and I have seen. I think one year Timber won it there. Timber Moore, he was. I can't remember how fast he was, but it was something similar where, where, but it, uh, where, it depends who's behind you too, I guess. But it was one of those situations. I think it was muddy. I don't think he aced one. And it ended up playing out, and he won the whole deal, and everybody kind of fell apart, which is usually also what short goes do. Right. Just not Caleb Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are yeah. four pretty good No, he's upper, right he's upper level. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I agree. So um, back to the NFR and having that situation. You know, when you – I mean, obviously it's got to be one of the it, – it's I, – I, how do you look at that is what I'm curious is when you're driving home, and you have that chance, are are you excited that you tried to win the world or, I mean, disappointed that it didn't happen? What do you feel there? At that point in the game, it's, for me, at least this was my process. It was it was kind of hard on me, like it would be anyway, because there's there was some disappointment. So you're, obviously you're wanting to, to win the deal. Now, the one thing I did realize is that it could have been so epic if I could have pulled it off. Right. Super epic. If I could have tied one in, in six, won the round, won the world. That it, it was set up. Now it was a it was a big task. It was a doable task. It was a big task. Um, of course, then you start thinking, oh, would it be co- way cooler to have two time NFR average champion behind my name? No, don't care. I, I got one of those back there. To change very little. That's great. When the NFR. Well, which is great but ultimately there's only one thing so I, I I left there and I went in there of course you got 24 hours to think about this I went in there knowing that there was only one outcome that I was going to go for now did I go about it right yeah we'll see and what what tough would have done thing is he he ropes good enough I knew I had to beat him yeah I, I knew I had to beat him. That I couldn't rely on him. Him be not, you know, messing up, just doing something. Yeah, because he's not. The I mean, at this level, you can't. It's you can't bet on guys not going out there and, and doing what they do and have done all year. So I thought, well, at this deal, I'm gonna roll the dice, see if I can make it work. Didn't work out. Plan, gamble, whole deal. Probably didn't do it right. Because if nothing else, I missed out on you know, a bunch of money. Well, I I don't know. So let's just say you take the extra swing there. Tying down, win the average, mm-hmm. win second in the world. How do you feel when you're driving home then? Same. Yeah. I feel the staying same. I really do. Well, yeah. And I, and I feel like, you know, you, one way you, you give yourself a chance, but you knew it wasn't a good chance. Mm-hmm. And the other way you, I mean, yeah. Cody will put you in a spot. And the, oh, the scenario yeah. was. You bet. It, was one of the, it might maybe the goat, you know. And, and, and there, what a goat that guy is. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. All right, so this is one that I wanted to dive into a little bit with uh, the mental game and just kind of seeing how you've evolved throughout your roping career. You know, I it was, man, it was probably not quite my rookie year, but a year or two after that, I caught a ride home from you mm-hmm. from a rodeo. And, man, I'd read my first book on the mental game. And the reason I'd read it is because I had such a good spring, um, early summer of rodeo, and then I couldn't catch. And I just kind of fell apart, and I, and I didn't know why or what I was doing. And so I kind of felt like my mental consistency wasn't there. Uh, it was Mind Gym, which is a, is a good mm-hmm. book to read, and it, but it's pretty generic, I would mm-hmm. say. And I realized it quickly when I said, you know, I, I asked you the question, like, hey, how, how often do you focus on the mental game? I, I just read this book, and you're like, 
the word I mean the words I'll never forget is if as soon as you're diving into this pace it's a whole can of worms and uh man I'm just kind of curious where that yeah. can of worms has led you you know how, how did you you know because I that conversation led to I think you had just went to Cheyenne and you had talked to me about visualizing the runs and the yeah. scenario and I mean it was like it was in detail you could hear the announcer's voice you yeah. could hear uh and you kind of like I mean, can see, smell that mm-hmm. situation before you even got there. Is that something that you kind of stay with, or you know, what, how has your mental game gone from there? You know, going leading up into that point. The thing I've realized is it takes a lot of effort. It takes as much effort. Like, like I think the easy thing to do. It sounds bad is to go out. This sounds bass backwards is what it is. It sounds. It's easy to go out there and rope the rope a hundred steers, flank and tie do that stuff the hard part is is making yourself spend the same amount of time doing the work on that on the mental stuff because it's all 15 20 minutes yeah 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 i got that i got that but i know for sure that 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 is the one thing that's paid dividends more especially as i've gotten a little older i'm not quite as uh physically able to just go out there and grind it out physically so then i started realizing hey i can still uh i can still make gold medal runs if you will but without the physical deal, it's just all got to come from my mental bank, which also is work. And then as life goes on, you get distractions. So it's hard to work on your mental game when you're just sitting around a truck full of dudes and, and they're, you know what I mean? We're not we're not on that level. It, it, it takes a tremendous amount of work. And for me, it's always played dividends. Right. So when you say work, how do you work on well, there's a certain amount of study. I think nowadays a guy would use an iPad. And I think you would, because uh, the first per- person point of view is, you know, how you see it through your eyes. Third person is your iPad view. If you can connect those really well. And then you start thinking, you know, now we've been in this game long enough. We all know what each rodeo is like. We can, if you look back, you know exactly what the Colorado Springs arena is like with the deal around it. Yep. Um, and so... You can pretty well dial all that stuff up. You know, you got those knobs, you're just turning them up high def. And again, it's hard to do this at a little county rodeo. Right. It's hard it to really get, is because it takes it takes the work. Yeah. yeah. Should a guy? Yes, absolutely. You should. But uh, dang sure try to put that work in at, you know, if, if, if then if ours on the line and it pial up, yeah, take the time, dive in there. Um, now how you do it, I think that, that depends on your personality level. I had a personality test uh, a few years ago, taught me quite a bit. Um, and there's some out there, I'm not going to recommend one or the other, but, uh, I had a really rare personality. I think I'm, I'm in the very, very small, smallest percent. I think I'm one tenth of 1% my personality type, really neat little deal. I'd recommend it for anybody. And how i don't know they're they're out there i stumbled on this one and right. she she is a she is a professional but there's there's a lot of them out there um but what i looked at from that point of view was a prescription a prescription before i perform because she said i sat next to a golfer first class i have more i have more interesting conversations in first class airplane than i do the regular <laughs> right so i just at this point in my life and i still do when i can I sit first class. Like I said, I sit next to this uh, pro golfer. Dude's cool. And he's like, yeah, you need to hit up this gal. 
And uh, he's like... So basically what he was telling me is he used her for exactly that. It was he got a prescription for her so before he golfed. And so he needed to be outgoing and engaging and talking to people and all these things to get him to the to the level that would match his personality type. And a lot of this, I'm, I realize, is, is it's theory, right? I mean, but the tough thing is our theory is only tested on one per day. We're down to one chip shot. That's yeah. all you get in the rodeo world, one chip shot. So why not be that dialed in? Yeah, one swing of the bat. That's yeah, all you get. one swing of the bat. We don't get four at-bats a game or five or 18 holes to play golf or four quarters to play a game. We get one chip shot. And so you just realize you got to be that dialed in. But it helped. But I come to find out there's certain things I have to do. And, and when I do those, and, of course, everybody's personality type's different. And so you need to find one that's custom for you. Yeah, so understanding how your mm. mind works, yep. what, what things work for you. Yep. Now, do you have some books or some other ways that you've kind of done just a little research on? Like, for you, it seems like it's a lot of you visualize and then you try to connect, like, basically the performance you want to have. Like, you put yep. yourself in that situation. And so when you're there, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel, uh, it's not new. You know, you're, you've yep. done this already. And it, so it's just, it's like you to yeah. to do that to win in that situation is that mm -hmm. is that essentially what you try to accomplish yeah and and by no means am i discounting the work here right and i think everybody's aware of that i'm not trying to to say oh you can do this if if you if you haven't paid the price and got to the level that you need to be at you're you're not ready you're, you're it doesn't matter how much of this other stuff you have to have the physical skills period but uh, once you know, once you get up here a little ways, you're climbing the mountain. You start realizing, hey, this is when these are difference makers. It's like the the guys that are just that much better horsemen. They're like, man, their horses are always on. You know, they those guys just a little bit better than the rest of us because their horses always seem to be just that much better. And they face that much better. They stop straight and pull at the exact right time to keep that rope tight. It's those little things at the very low, uh, upper level that seem to keep those guys just, right. I don't know, they just stay heads and shoulders above. Right. And I think that, like you said, the work is really important as well. And, and if you, I mean, if you want to know if you put the work in, I, I think a real good test and you, you think you're ready on the, the mental side of it and it's not something you do, try running five mm -hmm. or 10 calves or five or 10 steers in the, in the biggest situation ever and see if you can catch them all mentally. Yeah. Because I, I know that for me, it was tough. You you know, I would, as soon as I'd kind of be visualizing it, I there would be times in there where I'd feel like my swing would be messed up or mm -hmm. something, and you're like, boy. And so I think that has something to do with it is the 100% the confidence in ourself as well as being able to visualize it too. Yep. So I, I, I love that aspect. So do you try to, a lot of the big rodeos, like uh, getting ready for the NFR or something like that, would that be something that you would, I mean, do you practice, you kind of mentioned that you try to keep your horses, everything sound, try to stay healthy. So you've got mm -hmm. your workout and your horses and you kind of line that all out and you may or may not practice as much like physically. What about mentally? How do you prepare for the finals? Uh, well, now that, now I got a, a enough bank. I think I've made 110 runs in that arena. So I can go back and it, it's, it's kind of fun, but I also can, you know, it's funny before a guy even knew anything about this stuff. And you're just a kid out there with a head full of dreams, if you will. You look back and you're like, man, some of those some of those moves were looked really good. And then you look at it from the horse aspect. You're like, man, that horse had great timing, and you know, would let me get off the corner and float. You know, li little things like that. Um, 
uh, and, and I, I still put the work in. I, what, what, what scares me at this point, though, and, and I'm not a kid anymore, and nor am I getting ready for the Vegas this year, but I think there's some guys out there probably thinking, man, I'm going to go. And team roping's probably a little different. You probably actually can do 40 or 50 if you wanted. Yeah. If somehow you feel like that's going to make you better. But uh, I would like to think, man, if you were dialed in enough, you go make one or two. The My favorite practices in the world, you go make one or two on your good horse. You know, and, you, and you're like, we're it's there. there. Yeah. I'm there. Like, like loosen this sucker up, give him a click of butte, we're good. Right. That is when you're like, I'm ready. Right. I'm ready. It's not like, oh, man, I got to go run eight or ten more and then get the practice horse out and bring him up again. <laughs> it's it's let's pick out that steer that calf that one maybe a third one if i absolutely need it and you go run one or two and you're shoot that's the best feeling in the world you know you're ready you do exactly what you're supposed to do yep. you know how you're going to yep. make the run you have complete yep. control all right so what do you do when it's the opposite when you don't make that run ah uh, yeah I, well, yeah you grind it out grind it out yeah you grind it out you go get the deal and then sometimes you have those uh i don't know if you want to call them fits but we've all been there where you have that little deal where it's like, oh, boy. Yeah. We're going to be here another hour or two. You know, get the other horse out. All right. Uh, and then we're going to rope the dummy, and then we're going to rope the helomatic or whatever Smarty or Jimmy or whatever the next dummy coming up is. And you're going to run it for a while, and then you're going to get the young horse out, and you're going to just only work on on using your feet because you got that good slow colt that needs to kick, and you're just going to kick the whole way. And anyway yeah grind it out that's always plan b yeah and i think what for me and i don't, I don't know what it's like for you but when i get the most out of it when i grind it out i, I used to be this way and i would just go run a lot of steers but what i would try to do is now pull it back like okay this is happening i need mm -hmm. to work on it so for example like you're talking about using your feet if i need to ride more well i'm going to get on and i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna do right. i don't really care about the run i kind of let the run go but if i can do what i need to focus on correctly and that's what my mindset is. Then I can kind of, mm -hmm. I can start building on it that way. And it's it's tough because yeah. I've I've researched it a little bit, and it's like when you're getting bad practice. Uh, some people say don't practice anymore, mm -hmm. but it's tough for me to do that because I when I'm done practicing, that's what I think about was a bad practice. Now my yeah. favorite is good practice, like you said. Where and for team open, it's a little different because we usually run more than in the cavalry. Right. But, but I don't mind missing one or two out of the 25 or 30 that I run because it kind of keeps me like, okay, you kind of got off of track here and then that kind of keeps it oh, yeah. honed in. Yeah, that rope doesn't have eyes or ears. It doesn't know where it's going. So yeah. I, I love it. I, I think that's really important. Man, uh, how do you feel about the rodeos this year and how it was set up? It was an interesting year. Of course, of course my year was was not. I, I, I just, it was, I had a lot of, I don't know, perfect storm, whatever you want to call it. There's a lot of things I, I don't, I'm not, that were beyond my control that seemed to affect me this year um the rodeos you know in our area they're doing great i think the rodeos american houston counting all those you know it's changed the i got a new strategy for next year because and it's all based around winter and then small amount of summer and if you're not hot and ready for those two seasons if you will those two mini seasons uh, if you if you're not ready to strike when those when that iron's hot, you're missing out, and you're just gonna have to grind it out all August, and still might not be able to catch up. Right. So with the rodeos this year, you know, there's the couple, basically two or three guys punch their ticket to the mm -hmm. NFR. 
um, that may have may not make the NFR on a regular year. Yeah. So it, it takes two or three spots away with the American and, and all mm-hmm. that, the 50,000 counting from Houston. And, and so yep. that makes it unique. Uh, the winter, when you talk about preparing for it, the winters, uh, essentially it's slow compared to summer. You know, you've got Denver and Odessa and these rodeos that, you know, there's, there were basically weeks apart on your runs, you know, uh, and it's not like you, the summer, it's drive and get out rope, drive, get out and rope, mm-hmm. maybe get one or two days off here and there. But winter, it's like you might run 15 calves, maybe 20. I, I don't know the number exactly, but, mm-hmm. and so how, is that just, you know, with the mental preparation and just try to keep your horses working, you try to treat it like that? Or how are you going to try to be prepared for the winter? Yeah, I'm going to have a, a better pre-winter game. Of course, life and kids and a few other little um, things I got going on have have taken taken over and take some of my time. But um, and I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be in a situation where I can practice. Up up here, it's not doable, and up up here in Idaho, um, indoor arena is not a solution. Right. There's no way. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that means Arizona, Southern Nevada. Um, if I get stuff to Texas, I'm not sure exactly on that plan, but I know I will be roping a couple times a week. The horses will be ready, and because because of the the huge gravity that these rodeos bring. I mean, if you just do pretty well at a couple of those, you look up and you can, I mean, everybody makes a big deal over the 4th of July. Shoot. That's got nothing on just winning second at the American. Yeah. Or even, you know, the 4th of July is really not that big of a deal. And, and I, I was going to see what your opinion is on with the direction of rodeo. Cause it, it seemed like this year, obviously the 4th is, you know, there's this big emphasis on Cowboy Christmas, but the next week, there's Sheridan, Casper, Colorado Springs, Vernal. I mean, uh, mm. the, I, every week from basically then till some point in August, it feels a lot like the fourth. There's a lot of money to be won and a lot of miles to be drove because a lot of the rodeos added a little bit more this year with the kind of the tour system, which I didn't really understand how that was. Yeah. Give me your opinion on all that. Well, it, it's. I think it's interesting. I think this new commissioner is... He's a business guy. Yeah. I'm interested to see where it goes. Uh, hopefully, he gets some media stuff in. I know sponsorships are growing, membership. I don't know. I don't know where that's going to go. I really don't. A lot of these things nobody knows, and it's no crystal ball. But, uh, yeah, there's some rodeos trying to add some more money. And there is, um, until, of course, this is just a... In, in, until we figure out how to make sure that when the PRCA gets a new sponsor for a million that somehow it directly comes to us, I feel like there's a flaw. And I think the biggest the biggest thing we're missing out on, and I think they're trying to correct it, is the media stuff. Right. Um, you know, early in the baseball season, you watch you watch Major League Baseball games. Shoot, I'll even throw a rodeo under the bus. I don't care. Rodeo Houston. And I know it's, might as well call it Concert Houston, but it's not. It's Rodeo Houston. 80,000 people there a day. Why are we roping for 3,000 a day right. with 80,000 people in the stands? Yeah, so there's 80. Wh- so for why? Houston, just, just so people know, um, the rodeo is essentially sold out, and there's a concert afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so they're selling out the NRG Stadium, which seats seventy to 80,000 people every, every yeah. performance. And the rodeo pays phenomenal um, compared to all the other rodeos. Sure. But it doesn't pay phenomenal compared to 
the attendance that it has. Yeah. And that's why you say it's, you should call it concert yeah. Houston. Yeah, concerts. So they want to have, if they just want to have concerts, have concerts. Um, the tough thing is they're having a rodeo because the, 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 somehow the word rodeo brings in the idea of this fun activities and boots and it's all great. Um, of course, my whole deal is, is I would just like to see how, how to get some more money in the industry. And it's not, and it shouldn't just only be through sponsorships. I know a lot of these guys are like, well, the thing is you just got to leverage that into better sponsorship. Yeah, that's great. We've done that a little bit. Everybody's trying to do that. But at the end of the day, you don't see these basically when it comes down to media packages, what it is. So we got to figure out how to get the media deal. And then we, as contestants, especially the elite guys have to figure out how to get that to come back to us. Right. Cause it's all great. If it makes another million or 5 million or 10 million or a hundred million only if it comes back to us, not just build the association up. Sure. And, 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 and but my, but my deal's one sided. I'm not, I don't, I don't care what the other side looks like. I'm looking at it from, a contestant which is what I am yeah and, and I think that's a really good point especially with we get scenarios like Cheyenne this year they decide to add a little bit more money mm -hmm. and televise everything and um, essentially it set it up to where the rodeo didn't pay as good as like it well, as it used to right and it's made it hard for guys to work and so there was two major deals why a lot of the calf ropers didn't go and the bulldoggers didn't go is uh, you had to make a lot of runs in a tough arena and for yep. not as much money. And Cheyenne used to be a rodeo that it would change your summer. You know, one yep. calf, change your summer. You win a day money, 7,500 yep. uh, or whatever it is. And it, it, and it kind of sets it up to where it can change your summer. Now, on the other hand, all the, the purse were televised. And mm -hmm. so I, I made it back. I kind of got a dose of it both ways. I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't excited to go to Cheyenne this year like I usually was. Mm -hmm. Like usually when you're driving over there, it feels like you're going to the BFI or something. And you know there's a you got a chance to just completely change the summer now this year it didn't feel like that because you had to qualify through the, the 150 guys and they bring back the top 40 or whatever it was to the purse and uh, and then even in the purse they they paid good but it wasn't like you're backing for that huge money like mm -hmm. you do and and I was fortunate enough to make it all the way to the finals this year and uh, and it still it never felt like Cheyenne but everything was televised and when I got back home a lot of people knew that I, I had some luck there and I thought that was different, and so that that aspect gave me hope that maybe you know there's, yeah, the, it, it the, a lot of people that I've made the short round twice there now, and um, the first time no one knew or said mm -hmm. one word to me, and this year I had a lot of people that lived locally say something like, oh, yeah. whatever, good job, but uh, and and they watched it, and I think that that's that's interesting because as we're bringing sponsor money. Um, where does it go, and, and do the contestants have a say where it goes? Sure, and that's sure. That's a that's an interesting yeah. topic. Th that that is that is the one thing, and I'm not saying I have the answer. What I'm saying is, as a contestant, you know, and it's great bringing a good kick butt media package. That's great, but all of a sudden you just got to start saying, hey, you have this mega event. You still want to call it quote rodeo something, and it's a mega event, and then along with this comes the media package. Um, you know, we, we got to start getting paid. That's right. all there is to it. And it's, it's not a greed thing. It's the fact that we as rodeo contestants have guaranteed expenses. Even if you have a sponsor covering some of those or this side or there, we're guaranteed expenses outgo out, whatever output and no guarantee of income. Right. And so that is still the battle out here. Uh, slight business deal that we're working on out here is, is this, 
is that. So all of a sudden, do I feel like we should start to get paid maybe 500000 at some of these per perf if the media package gets to the point that it can do that? Absolutely. You bet I do. I, th- I think we, it's got to get there or else we're just going to have a few guys running off and being successful. And then, and, and it's not a, oh, shoot, at an ERA meeting the other day, one of these idiots popped off something about, oh, that sounds like something Obama would say. And I'm like, listen here, dumbass. Like, last I checked, you know, you're barely paying the bills. But anyway, the point is, when this grows, if it grows, it's, it's it, we got to make sure that our, our grows, what what we get, or else we're still just elephants in the circus. Right, and and I think that's really important because I, I I mean I'll throw a rodeo just locally here under the bus. It, it really frustrates me. Um, is the week of Burley, Caldwell, Gooding, all three of those rodeos in Idaho sell out. Mm-hmm. All three have grown and added more money. Well, two of them have. Burley has not. It's added. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's added more money, it's went from added fifteen hundred in the team roping to maybe two or three thousand. Right. And it's got us sold out. I mean, it's all set up there to grow and scale and add more money back to the Cowboys, and uh, they they have chose to not do that at all. Where Gooding stepped up, tried to be a tour rodeo this year, yeah. and a lot of rodeos have gone that way. Like Bremerton went from adding five thousand to now it adds ten, mm-hmm. and so and and getting that, and there's a lot of good things going with added money. But there's still uh, a lot of money that gets put into different aspects of the production that, man, it's it's tough to justify, you know. And, yeah, two rodeo announcers. Now some of these rodeos have two rodeo announcers, and those guys are getting paid. Well, sorry, what do they get? Four or 5000 a perf? Yeah, I think they get paid pretty good. I don't yeah. know the exact number. I talked to a specialty guy the other day, and it was a rodeo in the Northwest, and oh, he got in that five-figure range. Yeah, it's four or five perf rodeo. You look up and you're like, guaranteed. Again, the output versus income. It's but it's a, they're a little different side. They're part of the production. Yeah, and, and it's necessary. It's yeah. not like I'm not saying they're not worth it because yeah. it's there's so many little deals. But do we need two announcers though? You know, and I, I don't think so. But yeah. at the same, but you time, and I agree. Um, I, and I think that. That's that's really uh, where like the the ERA and now the WCRA and stuff would kind of get moving. Do you do you like that direction they're going with like the the nomination of the rodeos and all of that? Yeah, I I like I like what the WCRA is doing. What what's tough is that I uh, there's only one local. Right. You know it's it's but you know as these get get better and better, it might be worth driving to Guthrie and Kansas City and some of these. Um, you know, we drive halfway across the country for less, so guy needs to probably give those a shot. Um, I'm not being critical. I wonder how long until that, you know, a lot of these, these businesses, they get to a point where they got to sink or swim. Right. And I don't know how much longer that'll go. And so it's, they either got to be become completely competent and legit or whoever's funding the deal is going to pull the plug. Right. Yeah, but I bet that we're getting down within a year or two of it needing to be able to float right. on and, its own. And I and I suggest everyone check it out. Um, I, I mean, I didn't do any good at Salt Lake, but that was the first one. I, I nominated – actually, I, the plan was just to nominate a few of the rodeos right off. And I won the first rodeo that I went yeah. to. And so I, I didn't even no, nominate another one, and I got into Salt Lake. And uh, 
and man, to go against eight guys once and then come back, uh, is it against four or eight? I'm not exactly yeah. the the style. You don't go against more than basically eight guys and you get a go for fifty thousand. Yeah, and uh, and so it's a great format, and uh, and I and I like that idea and being able to nominate. The problem is it, it just costs a lot. Like I nominated Cheyenne, and what I did for Cheyenne is I nominated all four of the rodeos. So my fees at Cheyenne for the WCRA was like eight hundred and sixty dollars <laughs> yeah. plus the five hundred fees I had there. But I I just felt man, there's so many good yeah. chances to win money as uh, as you only go against eight mm-hmm. guys again, and so I knew that. If we caught, we probably it was a good, yep. good risk. But at the same time, if I was out eight hundred bucks, it hurts. So yeah, I got I got probably needs to try those. Really do. I mean, anytime you can go to something that pays, at least there's the upside. Otherwise, rodeo, you know, I was introduced recently to the idea of and the concept of negative free roll. Right. You know, it's kind of like, hey, I'll give you a hundred if you can jump the fence without touching it. Well, I have zero upside. And you have a hundred percent upside negative. The good thing is that's that's it's almost a negative free roll for us. We put up just a little bit, but we have fifty to a hundred thousand upside. Yeah, it's uh, and we're already traveling. We already have the expenses, and so you, you've got to look at some of that as saying, "Hey, it's all upside." Yeah, no downside. What you're putting the money into. That's, yeah, it's a good in the point. in the big picture, what's a what's a small nomination fee? So with rodeo and managing money and sponsors and all that is tough and. And one thing that, you know, you you hear guys, oh, they have all these good sponsors and companies backing them. And, and I, I think there's a, there's those unicorn sponsors. Mm-hmm. Usually they're some guy that's got a lot of money that likes someone, and it's really not out of a purpose of yeah. getting return on what, the, what they're asked of. But, you know, you've had a few – you have great sponsors behind you. And, uh, you know, what are some ways you kind of try to help with that? And, you know, you know basically growing – who you are as a person so that you have companies backing you and what what would you suggest to to kind of get that going and, and continue to grow that well every one of them in one way or the other has come through a personal relationship so usually it's you know somebody that's in a position to be able to make the make that call to me that's the that's the deal in probably any businesses you've got to be able to get down to where you can actually get to the yes man uh, with project filter had a friend that knew the guy and went through there and this is what they're going this is idaho's fighting tobacco we're trying to influence kids to not start and we're trying to help people that are using tobacco to quit great you know like with uh cinch jeans you know other than i kind of like to look good and i've always worn them um i like it because because it's it's kind of it's not just the styles aren't just super hickish like this polo i'm wearing right now love it comfy you know um so they're they're that crossways where I can also I can also look good on the golf course, which I got here in about two hours, but right. then I can also you know perform in. But similar thing, it was a personal contact, was able to get through, and it was a company I agreed with. So Cinch Works so is a feed company, Cubit Hay, same thing. Called up Zach at Cubit, but got him through Lad Herps, and he said, yeah, hit him up, maybe they'll work something out. Great. Um, same thing with my truck deal. This is a local guy. Um, Hank Carter's the general manager down there. But Hank is the general manager. He's a decision and maker. He is the decision maker. And so if a guy's going to pursue those, uh, you know, I'd, I've, we've all probably sent off some of those packets to just here to accounts receivable or general mail at 
blankety blank. But if you, that, and that's where guys got to use his network and stuff to try to get in with, uh, you know, in with somebody, use your personal contacts that you have. Right. I think that's a, that's a great point as opposed to reaching out and, and there's always, you know, putting it together as far as a resume and a, you know, presentation to these companies, you know, you might find that, but the decision maker and and personal contacts as well as really believing in the company. I think that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing. It's like, for me, it's like classic ropes. I, if classic, if I didn't do anything with classic ropes at all, you still use them. I'm going to go pay 50 bucks a rope and use those because I've swung the other ones and I'm not going into battle. I'm a power line (laughs) light man myself, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that that's something that, you know, you got to have and you got to be able to look them in the eye and say, hey, if with or without right. you, I'm using your product. It's true. And and I think that's really, really strong. It's true. Yeah, and you don't want to be that guy that's like, we all know those dudes. As soon as somebody leaves, you're like, oh, my gosh, this, no. You know, if you're going to try to go down that route, uh, kind of believe in it or, or at least at least be. And then you also got to look at the type of person you are. Yeah. You know, because, you know, if I like to look at things from the other side. You know, if, if instead of it, you're looking at it only from, I'm trying to get something from you guys. What if I was them? Would I sponsor myself still? Right. So you got to start saying, how's my appearance? How's my social media? How is my, uh, uh, how's my attitude and performance in the arena? Because, you know, at times Cheyenne more and more, if the media thing thing goes, I hope like it goes with the PRCA, there's going to be a lot more eyes on us. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong in the heat of the battle of, of, of some cussing and a good competitive spirit. I think there's a point where some of that could, you know, be somewhat misconstrued and negative. Uh, I mean, so a guy needs to, you know, just be professional. Yeah. I think there's plenty of times where there's top end guys in, in your event, the calf roping, that you've heard stories of guys getting kicked out of rodeos and stuff like that. Sure. And you're like, man. Well, you think what the hell? <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, you know you're representing our sport and doing that, yeah. and that, that's uh, that's when I get really frustrated. Is when they're going to the, those extremes. But all right, so with rodeo, it's expensive, and, and managing all mm-hmm. of our expenses, um, there's there's so much every year, and it's just like this year. You might have an off year. You've 11 time NFR qualifier. Missed it this year, so it's important to have side hustles and other right. things. What are some other ways you've kind of kept the deal going and, and basically been able to, to move forward with your calf roping? But just like this, when you have a year where you don't make the NFR, it's 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 not the end of the world. Uh, my wife and I started a horse insurance business a little bit ago. I think she's been doing it for 10, 12 years now. Really, I just, I just got lazy on that deal because... Because I figured out that my wife was a whole heck of a lot smarter and sharper than I was, so I said, "Hey, go get your, go get your insurance license, and let's let's start selling horse insurance." Uh, it took twelve years to grow this thing to this point, but you know we're glad we have it. Um, she does a good job, and it's kind of like anything you do, probably in any business. If you do a good job, it's going to work. But um, the good thing is is we're in this industry. I understand how the horse insurance thing works because I think there was a time and place, I want to say 2003, I bought a horse. I want to say for twenty or 30000 I can't remember. And back then, that was a lot. And now it seems like it's double or triple that for everything. But just like a lot of guys, I go and get a little note on the horse. Um, I thought, oh, what the heck? I can't remember, six, 700 bucks for a mortality deal. Yeah. And... Uh, I'll be dang that horse dies. 
he had a aneurysm and uh, killed over. I tell you what, I've been done dead in the water with the bank owing twenty or thirty thousand. I can't remember what it was exactly, and uh, and and not have anything. So basically, you know, you're still on the hook for the money, and and then I still don't have a horse. So then I got to go spend another X to find a replacement. Um, that was the first time I realized, hey, this is the real deal, yeah. and uh, and a guy maybe ought to do this. It works out really well now because we're niche market, and my wife does a great job. Right. Well, I think understanding that you're you're hedging your bet. You know, these horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially right now, I I cannot believe how much team roping horses and calf roping horses, especially because the great calf roping horses are, it's almost like you can pick your price on the great the top end of the head horses and the top end of the calf horses. Absolutely, it's whatever you want, and the reason is is because Absolutely. you can make it on them, and then when you don't have that, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's costing you tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a year yes so to basically hedge that bet i think is it's, yeah. it's smart and it's important i know we've used you on that's that's where we get well, all that horses you. done too so i i ali does a great job so yeah no thanks for that plug and, and thanks for the deal yeah it, it is the, the the one thing that's tough that i see well for example i had to put my gray horse down this year that was one of those uncontrollable things this year and that was my go-to go-to fourth place horse like can tell you how many times when it's like, man, go to Walla Walla, got to get paid. I'd go there and get paid. Go to Ellensburg, make the short go, win the short round. Just like we were talking about short goes earlier, come back seventh or eighth, win the short go, I think ended up third. Right. I mean, that dang horse, now he wasn't a first place horse. You weren't going to win a lot of rounds, but he'd let you go catch and tie everything down. Super solid, could run. Um, anyway, I'd put him down. He tore out both deep digital flexor tendons. And I feel like I had him underinsured for what I got out of him, but it was still something. Right. And so the tough part is, is when you have that horse that you've raised and you're like, oh, hell, I made him. I'm only in this sucker, you know, 12, five, I got him as a five-year-old and three years later, you're, let's say you're making the finals or making a living on him. You've got to have something. Now he's, he's worth a hundred and you'd have to spend a hundred to replace him probably of that caliber but does something kind of ease the ease the burden yeah something because you are going to need to get another one you know and then there's some you know there's some things you emotionally and and a few things that you that suck you have to deal with because yeah. these things are you know they're not just our race cars they're really not um some of them are, are pretty dang special oh man i I couldn't agree. I have a few that I'm getting to where now I'm basically riding horses that we've raised. And I'm like, at this point, you know, what are they worth? And I'm actually, yeah. now that I'm starting to rodeo on them, I'm kind of now turning down some money for these horses. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good point is even though you think your horse might be worth, let's just say 50000 insuring them for fifteen or 20000 is pretty inexpensive for what mm-hmm. you can get because then you could still go buy a really nice colt yeah. or something like you know something that has a chance to yep. be him you probably uh, you can't really f- replace those high-end horses even if you say he's worth 50 or 100 yeah. and then you get a hundred thousand it's you you might miss on that horse you know there's some chemistry and stuff yep. like that but man if you can take some chances and and, and mm-hmm. kind of build your horse program back up it just it really does help it where it's not such yep. a big loss and I, I think that's really important yep. Well, man, I know we've been here for about a dang yeah. hour and a half. Wow. I, I told you it was probably going to go over an hour. Talk about tons. Do we? Can I ask one more question? Yeah, love to. 
All right, so this is something that's been really new to me. Uh, and I think if you're a World Series team member, this might not, this will be an interesting subject, but I don't think it's for you. If you're a header that's wanting to come up through the ranks and kind of look at it, I, I think this is something you definitely need to pay attention to, and I'd love to hear Matt's answer on this, is heading now at the rodeos has changed a lot over the last couple of years. There's guys that it used to be you see the score and you drop and you, you blew. Mm-hmm. And now it's like you see three to six to eight inches less than what the move is, and your horse, like you said earlier, gets basically off the back of the corner, yeah. and they kind of like they're throttling, and then you, you can read your steer. And yeah. if he's running, you give it all the way to him, and if he's slow, you just kind of keep that throttle. And there's just like, they're right there. Watch Clay Smith a lot. I think he's great at it. Uh, there's a few guys. What do you think about that? With the, is that is that one of the reasons why calf rippers usually score pretty good and kind of head pretty dang sharp? There's a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of calf rippers that go to head, and then they they seem to be fast. Yeah, uh, I, I agree, and I I think I think I think it's not consistent enough to look at it and say oh it's a hip just see a hip to the move pin and go because uh i think i think it's like if you got to ride the you know what do they call it power power brake yeah gas and brake on same time because if a guy's really doing it you're you're seeing an approximate start and then from there you have to read the cattle and then that also means that you have to have a horse that will let you kind of pick up but then also at whatever point you feel like, oh, yeah, we're there, that, you know. And it's such a feel. And if really, if a guy was wanting to get really down in it, that ESPN 360, imagine what they could do oh. in that type deal because they can go in and calculate the distances and stuff and then the rate. Because each steer runs a little different rate. You got the loper. Nothing worse than having that loper. You don't blow it out on them, your foot off it, and then you blow up on them. Right. So now you're trying to rope coming to them. That's the worst. But in that situation, at least in the calf roping, it seems like when you can, when you can kind of hit the start, and you, you know, it's nothing better in the world when you hear, you know, you're close, and the guy's behind it, yeah, and then you already got your horse picked up in your hand usually, and okay. so they're leveled off, and you just pow, leveled off, horses rated. But then that requires that horsemanship of having a horse that'll let you do that. I, it's really tough, and that's mm-hmm. and that's when I started to notice it. Is I, I had this, I've got this black horse, and he lets me do it pretty good, and that's why I kind of learned it. Is I've turned his head to the right, and he he kind of would get looking straight with the gates, and I would kind of come off the off the corner yeah. just a little bit about the time the the neck rope was hitting the end, and you know I don't know exactly when I come off, but then I could kind of read, and then all of a sudden you could just drop it and give it all to him and, mm-hmm. and then kind of pick up and rate or you could just kind of keep that hand up like you said and and I think that's tough to find those horses because they got to be able to hold on to the bridle and and not pop off uh, uh you know up yeah and they got to kind of keep going and essentially mm-hmm. like power breaker throttle through there and then be able to yeah to kind of read that left hand and I think that's what calf ropers have have mastered is because your score is so short that it's all reading calves yeah. compared to to team up and so like you know it's there's times where if they're rolling you've got to be going and there's times where just like you said you got the loper and you can't give it all the way to them and and there's it, it a big difference between missing that start uh, ways and running real hard at it and with your mm-hmm. horse not being collected as opposed to being collected but still gaining with a with a decent start yeah oh i, I agree it's amazing it's amazing what and and then being able to do all this and stay to the front and still have your rope in front of you 
but of course your horses have to stay level, have to stay flat. They have to be broke. Um, you know, at that point, I don't know if the guys are really riding, you know, but obviously they are, they're, they're up, but yeah, it just goes to show how much it's come. Cause I can remember back in the day, it was just, uh, you know, it was just not as fine tuned. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and, and there is times I think it's not that, but with one headers and as tough as it is in the head now, it seems like it doesn't matter if it's two foot over, they're still going to be four. And you're like, that steer's out there so far. And these, and the healers are good too, but man, these headers seem like they can just, the range is almost unlimited. And then uh, their ability to score and just roll in there, roll out and face, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's really cool to see where it's come. Yeah. In fact, I think team roping has finally now got to the point where it's as competitive as calf roping. Because I, I think calf roping, there's usually when you go, there's 70 or 80 guys that can tie one mm-hmm. as fast as anybody. And there's your, and to get to that top tier of guys, you've just got to, like we talked earlier, doing those little details. And you got to be able to do those little things correct throughout the year. And, uh, and that's what makes a difference because it's both of the sports real competitive, but I think calf roping is, it is brutal out there, man. There's so many guys that rub calves good. Yeah. Yeah. There's some kids coming up pretty dang good. Man, I really enjoyed this. Thanks for letting me plug the insurance deal and a couple sponsors and stuff. And yeah, we should hang out more as close as neighbors as we are. Sounds good, Matt. Well, I appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Don't forget to review us on here. One to five stars doesn't matter to me. You let me know how you feel about it. We're always trying to give you good content and provide the best stuff out there. So thank you very much for listening.